do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and I'm joined by the woman that judges goats, not people, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? It's going well. How's it going with you? It's going pretty good. Uh, you know, this weekend, everybody's out there showing their goats, and everything looks awesome, and so I have felt a little left out. Got that FOMO going on. Um, but, yeah, we, we took a couple pictures of some dry yearlings and milkers, and uh, kind of had a nice weekend outside, so can't complain too bad. How's it going over there? It's going. We are halfway done with our kidding season now, so we kitted out all of three does. Um, woo woo! Major <laughs> <laughs> achievement over here. Uh, but we ha- we're waiting on one more, and then we will have a short break till next week, and. So it's going well. I feel like Superwoman because I did my evening chores, came home, pasteurized a bunch of milk, have milk heat treating right now as we speak. Babies are fed. Dog is walked. Laundry's done. I have dishes being washed in the dishwasher. Like, I am golden. Or at least I'm telling myself that. Perfect. Well, uh, we kind of we we had like a like a off week we we have one doe that's due this week um you have one that's due shoot any minute now so if you end up having to leave this recording it's because you have a doe that's got a kid hitting the ground right yeah but i think last i checked on her she's chewing her cud we should be good so Hopefully, fingers crossed, she lets me get through this recording and maybe lets me eat a bite for dinner. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. (laughs) Well, Danielle, there's not really any Adga news to really touch on this week. Um, Looks like uh, everybody's just kind of gearing up for a national show in Harrisburg, which is like, I don't know, six something weeks away. Um, Let's not count, please. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know I'm not ready either, or or our man, my animals, but uh, we do have some guests this week, Danielle. We do. Do you want to introduce I, them? I, I think I should, because I'm excited. I know that everybody that clicked on this episode and saw the title is excited. Uh, this week, we travel all the way to Australia. Okay. Danielle and I didn't, but our guests call Australia home. We are joined by Kylie Hopkins of Datadu Anglo-Nubians and Alex Berry of Down Utter Farms and Banfield Park Dairy Goats. We'll be discussing semen importing and how using American genetics have helped their programs along the way. Welcome to the show, Kylie and Alex. G'day. Thanks for having us. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> the token <Thanks>. g'day. <laughs> Yeah, right? We got one on the tracker. We're going to start a tracker for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, guys. I know it's 
a different day there and also uh, kind of early. So I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us. No worries. Okay. My pleasure. So we like to start off our first question with our guests uh, as kind of like an elevator pitch of who you are. So we'll start with Kylie. Um, can, can the listeners hear about you and your herd of dairy goats? Sure can. Uh, so my name's Kylie and my partner, Leo, and I, we own Datadoo Anglo-Nubians. We have been breeding Anglo-Nubians for a little over 10 years now. And uh, in that time, we've we've built um, what we think is a pretty neat little business on our, our little um, farm that we own here. So uh, we do have one La Mancha in our herd, which is a whole nother story. And if anyone follows our Instagram, they will know she's the naughtiest goat we own. But, um, but yeah, we have pure Anglo-Nubians. We, um, our herd at the moment is about 20 head, but it has been as high as 60 um, from time to time. And our main business, I suppose, is, is breeding dairy goats or breeding milking goats. So we sell a lot of kids all over Australia. But we also sell goat meat into a local meat market here in Rocky and into a specialty butcher. And we supply Rockhampton's only milk-fed pork, which is a little bit unique. Uh, and, of course, I make soap out of our, our milk. So, yeah, that's a summary of our little business. Awesome. And, and Alex, how about you? Um, so, hi, everyone. I'm Alex. Um I am down under dairy goats. Um, we had a commercial dairy, which was um, Banfield uh, Park dairy goats. Um, it's since been closed and we've combined Banfield and, and down under together. Um, I've been breeding goats for about 14 years now. And um, alongside my family, um, I come from a, a, a few generations of dairy farmers so we started a dairy goat farm and being new to a, to a, a specific industry, um, it was a pretty big challenge, I suppose, and I kind of liked it. Um, but since then, we've had to sell our, our property and now I've moved to a small property um, just outside of Newcastle and um, I just have a small little boutique uh, dairy that sells to a little cheese factory. Um, I have La Marches, Nubians, and Togenbergs, and um, yeah, it's it's just sells the milk to a little cheese factory. Um, I work off farm as well, so it's just purely get up milk, go home and milk. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's, that's awesome. everyone, <laughs> yeah. or at least most of us. <laughs> It's like the story of our lives, hey? Yeah, yeah that's, that's how it feels this time of year for me too. So I'm, I'm with you. Exactly. Now, both of you have come to the United States to visit. I know pre-interview we were talking about attending convention. So um, when I ask this question, I feel like you both will have some insight into this. Um, seeing American goats and Australian goats in general, what do you see as the biggest differences between the two? Do you want to answer, Alex? Um, I there are a few differences. Uh, every every I suppose breed will have its genetic uh, potentials and genetic faults. Um, what we like about them is the information that you guys can provide 
um, through genetic testing and um, production details and linear appraisals and things like that. Um, I think they've worked quite well together. Um, but I think it was just, for me personally, it was just the shock of just seeing consistency. Um, like, I think my first show was um, at Pataluma um, and I walked into the ring and it was just this mind-boggling, wow, look at this. This is I've never seen anything like this before. Um, but I think as a difference, I think they both have good and bad traits. Um, yeah. Well, I think, and also from, from the perspective of Nubians, I mean, there's there's been a lot of discussions in Australia and America, I think, about um, some of the differences between our Nubians because it is one breed that we both have and definitely the appearances are a little bit different. Um, I find the American Nubians a, a little plainer in the head, whereas our Australian ones are a bit more exotic looking and we know the colours can differ and that type of thing. But um, the reality is, is, yeah, we have we both have good and bad in, in everyone's paddocks. And like Alex said, the the American genetics that, that he and I personally have used in our herds has worked really well with what we already had. So both of us had really strong foundation female herds to start with where that we had been breeding for some time and selecting in a certain direction. And then the American genetics that we have added to that has worked quite well. And I think that's mm. the main point is, yeah, they've married up beautifully. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you got, when you guys first started your herds uh, individually, was it, it was just all Australian influence, right? There, or European, there wasn't any American influence within those lines, correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when did the importing of semen start for your programs? Um, I'll start with this one. Um, so basically it was about nine years ago. Um, well, I think it might've only been 10. Um, I got an opportunity to, um, travel to this, um, to California actually. And, um, I stayed there for about six weeks and I fell in love with the Lamarches. Um, it was sort of like love at first sight, even though Kylie doesn't agree with me. Um, <laughs> I think Lamarches are definitely a love at first sight or what are these things breed? <laughs> well, I can, to I can me, appreciate to... that they're beautiful dairy goats. They're just not for me. Yeah, too smart for Kylie. <laughs> Um, I think, no, that's, that's a lie. I, Kylie knows uh, that, uh, she, too she cheeky for her. me is the word. Too <laughs> for me. That's the word. Yeah. Um, but going back to where we first started, um, on that, on that day, it was a, a goal of mine to sit back and work out how, how I was actually going to do this. Um, I think, the genetic potential of that moment um, was just overwhelming, I suppose. And um, I needed to find a way to be able to bring these animals to Australia. So 
Uh, with our current guidelines through um, our government, so you guys have the USDA, we have a, a, like a government affiliate called Aquis, and that's just basically a, a quarantine. Um, in, like when we import, we have to uh, uh, um, get approved by their guidelines. So they've got a, a protocol in place um, that we have to follow, and it's t- it took about five years to be able to... Um, one, find animals, and two, find a loophole in able being able to I- import them. And um, it was very fortunate for us that um, there was someone that was already doing it, and we sort of jumped on that bandwagon and didn't miss an opportunity while we could. Okay. And how about you, Kylie? Uh, for us, so our, our first uh, Nubian seaman that, that we were a part of importing was on um, not on the not on the first import that Alex was a part of, but one of the one of the ones after that, and that was um, actually I can't remember. I think it was about seven years ago because my my oldest does that were born from that fir- very first round of AI with that semen turned five in about six weeks. Um, so yeah, so that for us, and, and it was the same thing. It was for us, it was an opportunity not to be missed. We we've been breeding our goats for um, probably about four years already, and we had been selecting quite hard for milk production. Um, generally in Australia, the Nubians are the poorer milkers out of all of our dairy breeds, and we were trying really really hard to breed a Nubian that not only had a, a pretty decent daily volume, but but also milk for longer in the year, much longer lactation. And, um, yeah, and, you know, Alex said to us, hey, you know, we're going to do another import with, I think you had La Marches and Togs on that same one, Alex, I think. And um, you yeah, said, oh, we might want to, we've got the opportunity to bring in a Nubian buck. And, yeah, so we just worked together with a couple of breeders so that we could all fund it. Um, it's a fairly expensive process. And yeah, like I said, our, our oldest does are five. They're on their, just on the end of their fourth lactation at the moment, about to kid for the fifth time. Wow. And yeah. so what breeds have been imported so far into Australia from the US? You mentioned Nubians, La Manchas, Togs, anything else? Um, so basically there's French, Al- uh, sorry, Alpines. Um, they, there's two bucks and I think there's a few more coming in at the moment. I'm just not 100% sure. I'm, I'm not involved in that one. Um, definitely the Toggenbergs. That was our one of our first lot. The Lamarches, Sarnans, Nubians. Um, Nigerians have been quite popular. Um, pygmies. There's been a lot of pygmies. Um, some of the Myotonics. And I thought they were looking at Kikos, but I'm just not sure. Okay, so quite a few for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we're t- we're talking about importing, but I guess we should kind of back up a second here. And, and can you guys kind of like walk us through the process as there as there seems to be confusion for the most part with American breeders on, on how it all works? Um, do you want to do that, Carly, or do you want me to do this one? Uh, oh, I think we can both do it. So I I guess probably what we should say is. Um, the, the the way that Alex and I have kind kind of worked together is Alex has a quite a good relationship with a lot of American breeders. He's been to America more than I have, met met quite a few more people in person than I have. So um, so Alex does a great job of 
um, helping source the animals, you know, based off some of those good friendships that that he's made. Um, we then look at all the data together and, and assess the animals we're going to choose. So we spent a lot of time on the agri-genetics website, like a lot. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. We, we do it here too. So don't, don't say it like <laughs> it's a problem. I think, we, I think goat owners use that site more than we use a lot of other sites. So I think it's such a great um, foundation um, to, to work off. Um, we don't have anything like that here in Australia. And it just, we, because of the, the process and, and the cost involved, it's the best starting point for us in enabling to see the genetic potential without actually visiting the um, America itself. So it's, it's a great starting point. So Alex, did you want to talk about the, um, the, the quarantine and the testing and the collecting and, and then I can talk about the European stuff? Yeah, for sure. So um, it all starts, um, like Kylie said, with um, a good relationship with the, the breeders. Um, we want people to feel comfortable. We don't want to um, be forceful. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a process that is a delicate one um, due to the nature of, of how it's performed. So it all starts with, um, obviously, we talk to, to the owners. The animals have to be at the age of five. They can be um, four, four and a half, but that means they have to sit in quarantine um, till they actually turn five and collection starts upon their fifth birthday. So once we find the animals, um, we, we sit back and we, and we talk about, you know, the, um, what that animal can potentially offer um, to our country and to the breed that we're importing. Um, so for Kylie and myself, we sat down in our last import um, and we went backwards and forwards uh, with uh, the two, two farms and we found out the right information. We start with good foundation herds like that's probably the most paramount um and we know the health of those herds too so that's a big big plus so the animals have to be tested for cae yonis chlamydia um blue tongue and i think tb i'm pretty sure um and that's all before the animal leaves the property so generally what we do is we say to the owners, okay, well, we'll pay for all these tests so that nobody is out of, out of pocket. Um, so they just have, all they have to do is donate their time. So they, they're there when the vet turns up, um, they use their own vet that they're comfortable with. Um, and basically they organise it through our collection facility. Um, and our last one went through uh, Brittany um, at Repo Genetics, I think it is now. Smart, yeah, smart repro. And um, basically, once the animal has passed, um, then the animal is booked on to transport and then sent to her collection facility. Um, once the collection, they're in the collection facility, they sit there for a few days, I think, and then they're retested again for the the same um, the same things. And then once thirty days is up, I think they're tested again, and. Um, basically then at that point they can as soon as they're passed and they're all clear they can be collected for Australian use okay so there's a few and oh sorry oh, go ahead. I was gonna say so there's a few a few rounds of 
testing and quarantining until we get to a point where they can be collected for uh, import to Australia. So it's pretty important when we're looking for animals, like Alex said, that they come from herds that have got a really good um, health history and that, you know, all of their documentation and that type of thing is is all up to date and ready to go. Um, several of those diseases are things that you guys routinely check for anyway, same as we do in Australia, but there are other, some others that are a bit more unique and that's just part of our uh, our quarantine restrictions, I suppose, or import restrictions so that we don't introduce those diseases into Australia. Yeah, and basically, in a nutshell, um, the in, like the collection facility has a list of our um, the protocol that we use, um, and they just have to follow the timing um, of those tests and basically, yeah, just comply with the paperwork. It's it's just a lot of paperwork. Yeah. So then the once the animals are ready to be collected, we um, the animals are collected for as many straws or in the case of embryos um, as what we're looking for. So um, for for this most recent uh, import of the two bucks that we the two Nubian bucks that we brought in, um, we had an idea of how many straws that we thought could be used in Australia. So um, that was a, a couple of hundred that we were looking for. And um, an important part of the process is once the collection is finished for the import, there is some more testing that has to be done post-mortem of those animals. So the animals actually have to be euthanized at a certain facility and have some post-mortem testing done. So that's a important thing for people to realize. And that's, that's why, you know, Alex made the point early that we need to have a good relationship with the people that we're buying these animals from and they need to understand the process fully. Um, it is yeah. also a benefit that the animals over five years when the process starts because for us, right. we, they've got progeny on the ground already. Um, but for the breeder that we're buying them from, um, quite often they have a lot of their own straws in the tank and um, they might be ready to move that buck on anyway. So, um, right. yeah, so once we get past the post-mortem testing, there's, yeah, just a bit of paperwork to make sure it's all right before the semen can be um, imported into Australia. And what we actually did on this most recent import, which was quite different to what we'd done previously, is we were, we were really, really happy with these two bucks that we chose and we just thought it was a bit of a shame for them to have to be euthanized for the couple of hundred straws that we wanted in Australia. So what we actually did was we worked with someone in the UK and um, we worked very solidly with, with Brittany to line up a protocol for the EU and Australia um, in succession with each other. So we were actually in the end able to collect straws for Australia for the EU and then for export into a variety of other countries. So between um, the original breeders who owned these animals and the semen they had that they can sell domestically in America, um, us with some semen in Australia, um, there's semen in the EU, and then there's semen that's also available to just about every other country. So yeah, this was a pretty big project this last one. one. Yeah, and we really wanted to do the animals justice. So... Um, yeah, so that everyone's got the opportunity to use it. Yeah, like 
we have, I suppose the best thing we can say is we don't like having to put the animals down. Um, but for what it's worth to improve not only in one country, but all over the world, I think it's, it's a pretty unique opportunity um, for a breeder to get their herd name all around the world and help other countries improve um, their genetic potential of the, the ideal breed. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I've seen posts on Facebook, you know, with the woke folks so that, you know, get upset that these animals uh, do have to be euthanized because of regulations, but they really seem to forget the genetic growth that these animals provide for Australia or the EU, wherever. Um, I just, it's, it's, it's huge. I just wish they could see in in one generation what what they can do um mm-hmm. like it, it's mind-boggling um we have a for these first few generations like the first probably two or three um we're getting hybrid vigor through our um kids and the health traits and the strength of just newbie kids that were born to die at the on our normal um but in my experience anyway, with the pure Nubians, like they would struggle to get up. These kids are basically walking straight out of the vulva and on their feet and sucking. Like it's mind boggling to see what a difference this has been for us. That's a funny, um, I should point out, like Alex just said that some kids are born to die and (laughs) it's a, it's a throwaway term. Yeah. Term that we use because when we, when we both started with, Nubians there we just both of us just had so many kids that were born that were unthrifty you know and and Alex is dead right the the very first kids that we had born out of this semen were they just had so much vigor when they were born you know I don't I don't I, I can't even tell you the last time I had some type of kid that needed special attention or you know, being fed every few hours or kept in the house or anything like that. I haven't had one for years. It's really made a big difference, I think, to the um, to the vigour of the animals, let alone the production side of things, which I'll get to later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. No, so, and it's incredible. I mean, it's something that I'm sure some breeders take for granted, but the idea of just having to put in extra time when – all it takes is just a little help in the genetics and hybrid vigor to make life easier and get those kids going and off to a better start. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Like the last lot, like the last import that we did, um, due to work commitments, I actually had to um, induce my my does to kid a little bit earlier than I would normal, um, and they were born oh, about ten days early. Um, and basically those kids, even though they were premier, like they were quads, triplets, and I think there was a set of twins, um, and they were tiny, like they were little kids, um, but big, big for, for the amount and how early they were, they, um, they were fine by the time they hit their normal due date, they were up running around and in, in another shed. So, um, that's amazing. It's just incredible. No, and it gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, you're, you know, like you said, you made this work for a work commitment, and you weren't worried about preemie health issues, and so it's definitely a game changer. Well, 
I was still worried. I think the worry part was more or less, you know, did I do this a little early? But they came out and they were just like, yo, human, here we are. We, we want to <laughs> feed us. Yeah, they're like, yes, feed me now. <laughs> At least, no matter what you weigh, you look at it, Nubians in all over the world, they sound the same. <laughs> yeah, there's no accents there. No, they still scream. <laughs> now, Kylie, have you noticed a uh, hybrid vigor with the American genetics that you've been using? Yeah, we have. And I mean, probably people probably think it sounds weird using the term hybrid vigor because they are the same breed. But I guess it's what we can most liken it to is if you actually had an F1 cross of something because they we, we found when we first started using, you know, this imported semen that, yeah, the kids were born with a lot more vigor. They grew faster compared to their mates um, that were born at the same time, raised the same way. Um, and what we found basically over their lifetime is that we've basically bed, bred better milking does. So we, we've been milk testing our does ever since we ever first began breeding. So I've got, you know, about a decade's worth of data to make pretty sound um, assessments on. And what we found before we started using um, the American genetics was we had does that could milk quite high daily volumes. Like we had some girls that would make five or six kilos of milk a day. Well, actually, hang on. Do you guys, is kilos going to make sense to you guys or should I talk in pounds? <laughs> well, then uh, I can do a quick kilos to pounds translation. So if you're saying five <laughs> kilos, we're talking like 11 pounds or so. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when we first started, we had does that could make a high daily volume, but, you know, we could only get them to milk for somewhere between five and eight months. So the better does would milk maybe eight or nine months, but, you know, the average, our average doe would milk maybe about six months, which for us, that just didn't cut the mustard. We wanted something better. And, you know, in that, that short lactation, they might make you know, maybe five, 550 kilos, 600 kilos of milk, which is about like about 1300 pounds. Um, and what we have found in all of the daughters that we have bred from that very first import is we now have those dough, our does milking nine, 10 months into a lactation, no problems. And then they just go dry for two months before they kid again. And we're talking now average lactations of about 1300 kilos so that's about 2800 pounds wow and that was the only thing we changed we've we haven't changed how we feed our goats we've used, used the same ration the same hay for a decade nothing else has changed um so yeah for like for us the, the proof is in the data and we i mean we really really hope that this new semen that we're about to use so i've got goats does pregnant to it now i'll have those first kids born from this most recent import i'll have them born in about six weeks and i'll see what they look like but um yeah i mean i've got a few kids on the ground already i i'm impatient and i like to see what i'm working with um and kyle's can vouch for how impatient i actually really am um, I, like, I like to fiddle, but I held does back. Um, so I didn't join some of my does 
and I'm like, I, like I, I want to see what they're like. Like I'm excited. So I AI three does and three pregnancies basically. And, um, the, the kids that are on the ground, like I've got 75% us blood. So that's uh, second generation us. So they'll play boy by this new other buck. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, even though we're using stronger um, US influence in them, I'm st- the vigor in them is just incredible. So, um, but the one thing that Kylie probably should touch on a little more is um, how they have the ability to adapt to feed change and how it, um, I suppose you might touch a bit more on this later, but um, they respond so much better to um feed chains like in a lactation um our does would normally peak at sort of six to eight weeks um the american genetic does like across the board not just uh nubians but blamarches and the togs they just will just plateau um and then you'll hit them with uh, a new batch of feed and they'll just keep going up and up and up and then the, the plateau has changed from six eight weeks to Oh, probably three or four months. Like they're still sitting on that the high sixes um, all the way through, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a. I forgot about that, Alex. That's a good point. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, for for us, like like I said, we had newbies that would only milk, you know, somewhere between five, six, seven, eight months. And you would have one slight upset for them. So maybe we had early rain in the season and they spent a day in the shed out of the rain. Or maybe we would take them to a show that was a long travel away and come home. Their first cycle, they would start to wind up their production. Like it, any anything that changed the routine, it's like they were looking for a reason to go dry <laughs> in, <laughs> in the oh crudest I suppose and yeah so so the daughters from from that first imported semen yeah just have the ability to bounce back from you know from some type of stressful event so whether it is a couple of days of rain and they stand in the shed and they don't get out as much or a couple of years ago we traveled them to a um a big show here um and for us that was four days travel on the road and uh, I didn't know how the goats would go, but um, Leo and I were, were really surprised when they came home. Some of them actually recorded a higher milk test a few weeks after coming home than when they before they left. So, yeah, they just seem to be a lot more robust in their lactation. And, I mean, that's not really something we can measure, but what we can measure is that length of lactation and the overall production in the lactation. And it's just just so much better than what we'd previously bred. Yeah, it's like they're adaptable to to the environment around them. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Have you looked and kind of tracked to see if their lactation curves are mirroring the American lactation curves and kind of what's generally expected there or are they performing even better than the American lactation curves? Have you kind of plotted data to check that out? I haven't done a direct comparison yet, but I know when we were looking for these two new bucks that we just bought, um, all of that hunting around on the Adga Genetics website, I mean, one of my criteria, and Alex and I talked about this a lot, was, you know, I didn't want a buck from 
um, a line of those that had any worse production than what our herd had. So it was a minimum requirement. There had to be many generations of does that made at least the same amount of milk as my goats or better because milk production is just something I'm not, I don't want to sacrifice it. I mean, we can tweak Mm -hmm. with things like on utter confirmation, we've still got a a little way to go in in my herd. Um, But I didn't want to sacrifice milk production at all. And length of lactation is part of that. So yeah, we were really happy with what we found and what we could see in the in the pedigrees of those animals and all of the data that we could see online that, you know, pretty confident, you know, production's only going to get better. Um, and hopefully with right. some, some added benefits of some, um, you know, a few other structural traits that we want to improve. Okay. So let's, let's hone in on that. So what are those traits that you're focusing on when you brought in those two new bucks? I mean, obviously you're not sacrificing milk, like you just said, uh, but are there any other uh, structural things that really you're honing in on right now? Uh, well, for for us with the Nubians, like so, when we first started, the first the first buck that we brought in was JNR Spirits Dakota Playboy, and uh, who was, as you guys probably know, is fairly widely used uh, in the US as well. And in that first sort of stage of the breeding program, what we were hoping to improve were um, were other attachments. So for, for attachment and rear, um, we had quite good medial suspensory ligaments. We really wanted smaller teats and more defined teats on the udders. So we had a lot of okay. those big teats that were poorly defined on the udder. We already had very good feet and legs. We had quite good um, um, chest and body width and depth, but we also had a problem with our rumps. So rumps were too short, too steep, and too narrow. Um, so I'm pretty pleased to say that we've actually improved, um, all of those things using Playboy. So the, the most important thing is that, um, we definitely have much better rear and fore attachments on the udders, definitely have smaller, more defined teats. They're not perfect yet, but they're better. Um, and the other big difference that we noticed was a much longer and less steep rumps, so, um, and part of that was um, we've definitely got does that are a lot wider across the loin than we've ever had before. Um, and of course, that's all part of, you know, links in with hip and pelvis structure as well. So, um, yeah, we've definitely made those improvements. Um, something that we really need to, to work on and we hope will uh, improve with this next round, with these, these next two bucks is teat positioning. Um, we definitely have a problem with um, teats that are, that are smaller, but they might be positioned too wide or too far forward on the udder, which is a pain in the neck when you're machine milking, um, but also for, I guess, udder, udder health and damage. Um, so that was a big one right. that we wanted to try and improve. I don't know, not sure how well we will go. Um, it seems from a lot of the information and data we've looked at, um, you know, you guys um, – have a similar issue with trying to pull teats in a little more under the udder as opposed to on the legs. So hopefully we'll make a little improvement there. And um, that, that was the main one for us is not to lose any milk. And I just, I still want to tighten up the, the rear attachments on our girls a bit. So yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm pretty confident that the animals that we have picked will give us some steps in the right direction. I don't think we'll breed a perfect goat next year, but hopefully we're getting closer. 
From what from what I've seen from the the kids that have hit the ground from that second import, like with the Nubians that we're talking about now, like the first buck, I had a, a bit of an issue with how he turned his feet outwards, like um, more of a ten to two positioning in the in the uh, front legs. Um, mm-hmm. The kids have definitely straightened out through the through the leg. Um, they're they're very long, very correct kids. They're good on their feet, tight in the heel. Um, some of the the kids that we or the original does that I've seen um, were a bit loose through that pastern. Um, it's definitely tightened them up through that, which is which is a bonus. Like I, I like good feet and legs, but I'm more of a memory man. Like I, I, I everything works around a memory system, um, wow. and I've always worked on that. Um, I don't like thick and tight necks. I, I want to see beautiful, long, clean um, blending all the way through. Um, and so far from what I've experienced, the um, the second gen of American influences has definitely worked in the direction that I would like. Um, I used to be on herd tests um, many years ago um, just through working and um, I know that we – we all make excuses, but I just can't seem to fit it into my day. Um, so I don't have any milk records. So Kyle's is probably the best one for that. Um, but we do classify and um, my biggest thing is feet and legs, um, especially from that first buck to the second one and now third buck. Um, so the proof will be in the pudding when we start um, using all three bucks together and see how they can complement each other. Now, with using those bucks, are you breeding one generation so to Playboy, then to the new one, and then to a third one? Or are you taking a Playboy son and using it in your herd? Or how are you kind of working those animals in? So what I've done in this instance, um, everything in my herd has Playboy in it. Um, Even I've... Kylie and I work a little bit together um, in in sharing genetics, and um, I had one of Kylie's Playboy grandsons, um, and I used him over some of my original does, uh, which were Playboy daughters. So we're sitting on about sixty percent Playboy, basically, um, in some of the does, and then no, it's actually less than that. Sorry, it's thirty five percent, and yeah, so we're using. In my herd, anyway, um, I AI'd the one of the new bucks to it to a Playboy daughter, but I like the bucks in a tank. Um, I don't like handling them. <laughs> I think it's much easier um, and more convenient. And um, so for me, I'm just going to keep moving forward and just using the AIs. Um, but for maiden does, I've kept um, just some mop up bucks. Um, so these these are sons from these new imports, um, and I'll just keep a new one every year, basically, and move the other ones on. And my my herd's a little bit different. So my when I AI'd this year with the two new bucks, I've still got some does left in my herd that don't have any Playboy in them. So when I I AI'd absolutely everything and. Um, to the to the two new bucks so it was a mixture of playboy daughters granddaughters and then some that had no playboy in them at all so um but I, i've got more nubians and alex so i've got a bit more room 
to to work and she to hasn't move. Seen the light yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, that just that one Lamancha in the herd just upsets the whole balance. Um, yes, yeah, so my yeah, so the way that I'm playing with it is a little bit different. So um, even those does that have got no playboy in them at all, they went to the two new bucks this year. So very, I wanted to do a, as many as I could to the new bucks to, to get a real cross section, you know, across the herd to see what we're going to, what I'm going to get from it and then try and make some more, you know, informed plans from there. Yeah. I, I can see how that'll help because then you'll, you'll definitely know what you're working with and, how he works with certain animals in your herd versus others. Exactly. Yep. Now, I believe you have brought some pretty notable animals into Australia, both of you. Um, how frequently are you bringing in bucks? Um, finances are a big thing and cost <laughs> of importing um, animals are incredible. It would probably blow your mind the amount of money that we have spent together apart and in between on genetics i know my first deposit on a property um went into buying genetics for goats um i would like to do it every day of the week um one i'd be divorced and two basically in a nutshell it's it's uneconomical um to bring in a heap all in one hit for the amount of straws that we actually use to seeing the the industry in Australia, um, I feel is a little um, slower than it is in the, in America. Um, so the genetic potential will move slower, but the market for the semen itself is again slower. Um, it's, um, I just yeah, it's. Do you think that people would be jumping all over those genetics, right? Because it's something brand new. It doesn't work like that, though. Like the, you, yeah. you have our industry is is made up of some um, some really lovely people, and they are very much stuck in a certain breed trait um, mentality, I suppose. And if you've been breeding something for so long, then why change it? Um, and it's trying to convince them and show them that the genetics that we're bringing in, uh, you know, can complement what they're doing. But in its own right, they feel that we're trying to change the breed. Um, and not just in Nubians, it, it comes in with the Toggenbergs as well. Um, like we still have people trying to sell pure Australian Toggenbergs. Well, um, that's fine. Like it's a choice and it comes back to being able to import and export. You have a choice as a breeder to, to breed the way you wish. Um, no one is forcing you to sell, buy or in between. Um, so we, we choose to breed the way we do and um, it's worked in our favor. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of that as well is that, you know, we, we didn't, well, I mean, me, Personally, like Leo and I, we did not um, start to import semen to be able to sell a lot of semen to other people. That wasn't the aim. The aim was to make an improvement in our own herd. And Mm -hmm. that's by the way the numbers work, to make it worthwhile. You know, you have to have many hundreds of straws 
And we, we sell a little bit of semen, but a very, very small amount. And you know what, if we didn't, we didn't import it to sell it. So if, if people want to buy it from us, that's, that's perfectly fine. I don't, I don't mind at all. I'm happy to sell it. Um, but that wasn't the purpose. We didn't bring it in to, to try and make a fortune off. <laughs> semen. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and well, it- it seems like it's a very expensive process from what I've heard. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. And, um, but yeah, I mean, like we, we, what we've spent, we have made back in the sales of mm-hmm. kids. Um, so we've, we've made the investment back in that regard, but That's... not by selling, you know, a lot of straws, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't bother us too much. And I, I definitely think there, there could be a misconception that the reason we started using American genetics is because we thought that there was something terribly wrong with what was already in Australia. And that is a hundred percent, not the case. I mean, like I said, no. right at the very, very top when we um, started recording that I think the reason why the genetics has worked well in, in, in my herd is because we had a really solid female base to start with. Yes, they weren't as good as I had hoped they'd be, but, you know, they're better than when we started three or four years before that. You know, we had a fairly consistent herd. We just wanted them to be consistently a bit better milkers. So, yeah. And there was, no, there was no bucks within Australia at that time frame that could offer the data that we could get from the bucks that we were sourcing. Um, like, I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Um it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, if we were going to spend money on bringing an animal across the country, you know, we would want to know that he could produce something better than what we already had. And there there are definitely some herds that have been milk testing for a long, long, long time and um, and definitely some that are classifying as well now or uh, you guys call it linear appraisal, but it's the same thing for us. Um, but, yeah, we just we just we had the opportunity to do something a little bit different so we went with it so it was no wasn't any disregard for what was already here we just thought well let's try something new that makes sense and so kind of touching on the data so what data do you have available from the australian animals um i know you mentioned briefly classification milk Mm -hmm. testing how does it look differently than what we have here so, so broadly, we have the same as what you guys have or um, performance programs, I suppose, um, as you would describe them. But so the big one is milk testing. We've had milk testing since as long as the Dairy Goat Society has been, been here. Yeah. 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 And um, there we have sort of two two parts of that. So you can do a 24-hour test, so a one-day test or you can test a whole lactation and um, we're the same as you. We've got a variety of different awards that you can claim or have recognized for your animals, depending on what their production is. Um, And we also have some awards for family lines as well. So, you know, does that produce a certain number of daughters or size that produce a certain number of daughters with certain production. Um, And then we also have classification, which is relatively new compared to milk testing um, but we've had classification for quite some time now, and um, we, like Leo and I, have been classifying our herd ever since it was available to us, and we found it incredibly helpful. We had a little bit of experience with it from dairy cows previously, and we knew how mm-hmm. important it was 
as in the in the cow industry. So, you know, we would really hoped it would be the same for the goats. And for us, we have found it unbelievably helpful to give us some numbers to work with and, and just have someone independent assess your animal. And, yeah, it's been very, very helpful. It's quite different to, to showing the goats, which we love, because, um, you know, showing is not for everybody and, you know, a, a show is, you know, just a judge's opinion on that particular day, regardless of how good or bad the judge is. So with yes. that, yeah, very helpful. Um, and, yeah, and then, of course, we have a, you know, a pedigree or, um, you know, system the same way that you guys have to, to track, you know, lines and families and that type of thing. So, yeah, we don't we don't have at this point in time one central place where all of that is available online for a breeder. Um, some you know, breeders, of course, make it it's available. It's basically self, self-managed, um, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, the, the labs that do the milk testing, there are a couple to choose from in Australia. They they can um, look after all your milk data for you. So I've got a lab that does that for me. So that's how I can track my lactations and that type of thing. But my classification data, I keep track of that myself in a, in a um, – a big old spreadsheet. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we don't have a, a you know the equivalent of an Adga Genetics website at the moment, but um, hopefully it's coming. Maybe for us one day. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are very very lucky in in what you guys have available for you at any given time. Like we can get on there in the middle of the night and find the information that we need. Um, but you know it's. We don't have that, and it's you're very lucky. I think part yeah. of it is a difference in the size of the industry as well. You know, we've yeah, we're talking about you know several hundreds of members across the country, which is a lot smaller than than what you guys are. So part part of that comes with size as well, and a, and a yeah. Need. Well, the the Adga genetics that's that's all one guy. That's Gene, right? He. He's the one that made it and, and curates it and updates it. Um, it's all one guy. We're very, very spoiled and very, very lucky. I feel he should come to Australia just for a little bit. Mm, Gene, if you're listening, you know, just visit, but come back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I feel you've had your time. It's time to share. <laughs> Are we sharing genetics? We should share genetic um, uh, information, information as well. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you, well, we're ta- while we're talking about the industry size, um, what's like a big goat show for you guys when you guys haul out? I mean, like how many animals per breed can you see in, in a class? Well, I mean, the biggest goat show that we have is the Sydney Royal Show, which actually just happened about, happened, yeah. about a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, so yep. a couple hundred goats there easily. Um, okay. so that, that would be the biggest like It's nothing like um, the okay. national show by all means, but it, in its own right, it's quite a prestigious show. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I guess, like, like I said, there's, there's fewer of us spread out over a very large land mass with a giant desert in the middle. So mm-hmm. <laughs> people are, very yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we're talking about, I mean, I know you guys all travel a very long way to get to national sometimes, but um, yeah, I suppose. It's really unheard of here really, isn't it? The, yeah, the travel. Yeah, I think, I mean, we traveled a really long way to go 
to the show in Bendigo a couple of years ago. Like I said, that's four days on the road for us. That was 2,000 kilometres. Yeah. yeah. But, well, um, for me, it was only, what, two days? Two days up and back? Yeah, where it's twice the distance for me, yeah. yeah. Well, that's your fault for that's... living on the other side of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you guys have had conversations where you're like, we need to live closer together. All the time. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's only a plane ride. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Listen, I have friends across the country that I'm like, man, you you should really move to New York. And they're like, "Mm, I don't think so. I get it. I get it. Um, So earlier, Alex, you touched on traits that you're currently calling on with, with T, um, positioning uh so they're a little bit less east west and more uh pointing south there um what are like your guys's programs huge focuses for this next breeding season uh and and crop of kids so in in my herd um across the whole three breeds that i have um it's more or less relying on talking with the people that have bred with the goats that we're using, um, especially new genetics. Um, we can't see them in the real, so you sort of have to rely. Like um, I was very fortunate to be part of a, um, a La Marcha import with Lucky Star, and um, I'm very fortunate to be able to um, call Judy and Don friends. And, you know, I send them messages all the time, and they probably hate me for it, but, like, in the middle of the night, I'll be like, hey, so – here I am, here's, here's three does. I send them photos of my does, especially in the memory systems. And I'm like, which which doe would you use on this buck? And, um, basically, they, they, you know, they tell me what they, they honestly feel. And it, it's really good to have that kind of relationship with the breeders of these bucks or the owners of these bucks. Um, and you follow what their herds are doing in some retrospect uh, in how they've used them. Um, and it will sort of pull itself back into its own pattern, if that makes sense. I, I'm a firm believer that I, I like to have lines that work together. So for me, when we're doing this new import um, of the Nubians, I really wanted to see a couple of different families, um, especially female lines, within the same two bucks. Um, and it was very fortunate that they both have similar um, grandparents in their in their pedigree. So even though we're saying that we, our animals have hybrid vigour, um, we want them to be able to work together as well. Like we don't want them to hit our genetics and go, what are we doing? Like it just goes, it either works or it doesn't. I want it to work. Um, we've spent an incredible amount of money. So for me, when we are looking at, um, line breeding as such it's not a direct line bred animal but it has similar animals in its pedigree that it can mash together to move forward into um, our system okay and i mean it's it's cool just listening to that and, and to hearing that you know you've got such a close relationship with breeders that are you know on the other side of the world so that's that's so cool and and Kylie, what do you think your big focus is right now? Our, our big focus for this year um, in, in terms of breeding is to see what we're going to get from 
on this round of AI. So I've got a bunch of does all kidding in late June. So I'm interested to see what the kids are going to look like when they're on the ground um, and keep probably no more than about six, I think. And, um, you know, by this time next year, they'll be gearing up for their first lactation. So, you know, in 12 months, 12 months from June, we'll have a pretty good idea of what it's going to happen in the udder department. So the teats are a big one for me. Like I said, um, Leon, I really find it very annoying <laughs> having uh, having wide teats and forward pointing teats. It drives us up the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit definitely a yeah. big one for us. Um, and yeah, just try and firm up some of those um, rear attachments. We've got rear attachments that are definitely wider than they have been before but we really want them a little higher right up into the escutcheon um so they're they're probably the big ones from the udder i suppose and then you know we've got our own sort of i guess business goals with other parts of the goat business which is where we want to supply a little bit more goat meat here locally um to rockhampton and um we're trying really hard at the moment to reduce the waste on some of the carcasses of the goats and pigs that we sell locally so we're investigating a few options to use offal and things like that in another market so we're just trying to yeah always be a little bit um inventive i suppose leo is a big picture thinker i'm i'm not so much he's very creative so yeah we're trying to think about what we can always do to just have the business ticking along in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Um, uh, Danielle, did you want to ask another question before we kind of wrap things up here? Yeah, no, I just wanted to ask kind of last question. So you're bringing in these new genetics, new lines, and I'm sure, you know, there's, we've kind of talked about, the advantages, how it's helped your herd, but have you had to make adaptations as well in bringing in these animals, like a change in genetics? Is there personality changes that you've had to deal with or, um, they are incredibly intelligent creatures. Um, it, I don't think I have worked with an animal as cre I wouldn't say creative, but I would say everything has to be on the outside of the fence. Um, Cause I'll sit there and they'll watch you time and time and time again. And then all of a sudden I'll learn to open a gate. Um, and it's like, wow, like, you know, I've, I've come over to my, my dairy area and um, you know, they've, they've undone a lock and, it's just like, oh, my God, really? Like, this is insane. Um, but I think temperament is a big part of um, your herd selective um, trait. Um, I, don't, I don't do bad temperaments at all. Like, I, I think culling is the best tool um, anyone can use. And if we say that every kid that is born from the new genetics or American genetics are brilliant – they're lying. Like everyone has the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and right. every buck will still throw the good, the bad and the ugly. It just, it's eliminating the does that throw that. So in my herd, I, I cull really heavily. And if they don't suit my need, they're gone. Um, and I don't even sell them on. They're, they're pretty much, you know, go to a meatworks and, 
you know, that's it. That's the, we finish that. And um, so I think in its own right, there are good points about using the American genetics um, and in, in its, in the opposite form of that, you still get your, your pendulous udders, your big teats, your, you know, right. extra teats. Um, the big thing is for us is skin colour. Um, and that's something that you guys really don't focus on a, a whole deal. Um, like over here in our sarnans in particular, pink skin is 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 really frowned upon um, in any breed really because of the climatic differences um skin cancers and um other cancers and things like that are quite quite um common and you know so we've well, i not personally but there was a sarnum buck that was imported um and you know the big talk about that was um you know skin color um i've got la mancha does that have got two-toned udders so pink on top and dark skin underneath and you know i have to be pretty vigilant on on how I manage these animals, like I, I live on a quite a wet area, and you know, so mine are in a shed. So, you know, there there are good and bad traits about it, and I think skin color is probably the big one. I feel right. We have something similar here with uh, the Nigerian breed, where they get a, a skin cancer usually towards their tail or, or rectum area, but. Uh, it's due because because of the pigment of their skin. So, yeah, it's something I didn't even think about. I mean, we I certainly don't focus on that. You know, I I mine go out, um, so their pink skin turns into a dark tan real quick. But then you see some other Oberhasli at shows that you can tell, like, oh yeah, they they live the barn life. They're living it high. You know, they're 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 munching hay in, inside all day and uh, air airflow with with fans, and they're just princesses. But uh, yeah, I've never thought of that. I mean, I can assume there's probably a lot of different types of breeders like there is in the United States where uh, a skin pigment could be a huge deal. Wait, yeah, definitely. you mean you're not? Oh, sorry. No, Go ahead. Good. No, no, no. no, no. My, it, this, I wasn't. No, get, get that dig in there, Daniel. I know you were about to dig at me. No, I Go was ahead. just going to say you're not <laughs> spraying your goats with sunscreen every time they go out so they don't get sunburned. No, 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 they don't get, they don't get umbrella, the, the hat umbrellas either when it rains. <laughs> now I, I wanted to, um, we're running a little bit long here, which is perfectly fine. I, I'm loving this. I wanted to just ask you guys, was there anything that you wanted to add that, uh, maybe Americans or other Australians that may be listening, uh, would need to know, or you'd like them to know about, uh, the importance of, uh, growing the genetic base in Australia through importing and and maybe anything else. I would say probably, yeah. Don't don't be afraid to make relationships on the other side of the world. You know, um, I guess things like Facebook and Instagram make the world small. But you know, get friendly with some people and ask questions if you have them. You know, Alex and I are talking about you know our experience with our imports and. And like we said, there are others who have who did them before us, and there are others that are doing them at the same time and doing them now. So um, everyone's experience is going to be slightly different. Um, we're just talking about, I suppose, how we we have found it. But you know, if you have a have a question about the testing or the health stuff, or 
how long the quarantine takes or, you know, you know anything like that, just ask. Um, you guys have got a great service in America as well of, um, you know, folks that transport animals, you know, in fantastic conditions. You know, the quarantine facility where these animals are collected is absolutely excellent. So, yeah, make make some friends and ask and, um, you know, I guess, make, make sure you're informed before you decide whether something is good or bad. And keep in mind that what we have done and the breeders who have sold animals to us, um, that may not be the choice for everyone and that's okay. And I think that's a big thing is it's just be aware, like we don't force people to do anything that they don't want to do. And we understand that the process um, that is undertaken is, is not for everybody. And, um, you know, we've been accused of a lot of things through this process and, you know, it's okay. Like we, we, we don't mind, you know, the criticism and, um, you know, the backlash of, of the process of it. But what I would like to say is, you know, we are exactly the same um, type of people. We care about our animals. We care about improving our animals. And um, we appreciate the, um, the ability to do this project. Um, we wouldn't have the animals that we have in our paddock right now if it wasn't for breeders um, over there in forward thinking. And you know what? If, if you don't choose to sell us a buck, that's okay. It's... It's, you know, it's a choice and um, we just appreciate the ability to chat with other breeders and um, explore different avenues in breeding forward a better animal across the world. Uh, probably yeah. the, other th- the, the other thing that is just fantastic about this last import that we did is that, you know, this semen is available to nearly every country in the world and some of that semen actually made up um, what I think was the first imported Nubian semen into the Philippines recently. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's some pretty cool things happening around the world in different countries. And um, yeah, if you, if you want to be a part of it, there's lots of opportunity, you know, to be involved and yeah, we're friendly folks. Just say g'day, make friends, you know. Oh, for for sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> now now <laughs> where can uh the listeners find you guys on social media um and you know find out about your herds so carlos um, has a really cool instagram page i'm not as cool she as does Carl. yeah she does i she puts me to shame good and proper um <laughs> but basically facebook and instagram you'll find us uh, or find me anyway. Um, but Kyle's she's got a pretty cool Instagram. I feel that you should check that out. <laughs> yeah, we, so our you can find us on Instagram and Facebook just at Datadu Anglo Nubians. Um, I would like some more followers on Instagram. So if you know a few hey, more people, this is not a time right? for advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the world is just I just find it so just perplexing as to what people want to look at but anyway it's i'm trying <laughs> you know there's well, a pay button. you can make people like you can put it out and you can get people to pay for it oh i can't be bothered with that <laughs> <laughs> the subscription fee yeah, yeah. I, just, I just try to show people what i like to look at which is goats and soap and pigs and farm stuff yeah <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's funny that you talk about advertising because we're about to – Danielle's about to advertise uh, our <laughs> own uh, stuff that we have going on. So, Danielle, where can folks find our merch and also how can they rate us on different podcast services? So our merch is on our website, which is www.dairygoatpodcast.com. Feel free to check it out and – search our merch store we appreciate everyone who's ordered merch and um we look forward to seeing the merch kind of out and about in the goat world and then um it is really helpful listeners if you rate us on apple Podcasts, spotify amazon wherever you listen to your podcast that does a lot for us and it's a quick you know quick and easy thing to do and then as well be sure to follow us on our socials um john what are the socials uh the socials is ringside an american dairy goat podcast on facebook and also ringside underscore go underscore podcast on instagram and we did have last week um, or the last couple of weeks, I want to say, we did have a few giveaways going on. So uh, make sure you're following. And when we have those giveaways, um, be sure to participate because we've been able to give away a couple great opportunities. I agree. Well, I guess we'll wrap this up. Everybody, we have been joined by Australia's finest, Kylie Hopkins. And Alex Berry. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. We really appreciate you being on. No worries at all. Thanks for having us. It was great. Yeah, it's been really cool. Well, everybody, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.